You're listening to the Christian Civics Podcast, exploring how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. I'm your host, Rick Barry, the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Christian Civics. This Tuesday, February 22nd, we're hosting a special workshop on learning to talk with our loved ones about race. Our facilitators for this workshop are going to be Keisha Saran and Garrett Losty. Keisha and Garrett met through a workshop hosted by Little Lights Urban Ministries here in Washington, D.C., and they've led workshops together on having hard conversations about race for a number of other churches and organizations since then. I'd strongly encourage you to visit our website, christiancivics.org, and go to the upcoming events section and register for that workshop today. Before the course begins, though, I wanted to have Keisha and Garrett onto the podcast to help give us an idea of what we can expect on Tuesday night. We're going to jump into that conversation as I ask them, why even teach a course like this? Why is this a topic worth discussing? And then after that conversation, I'll come back for some quick reflection and prayer. Now, I want to say up front, if you're listening to this interview and it kind of puts you off, if you get a little frustrated with some of the ways Keisha and Garrett and I talk or think about race and ethnicity and culture, I'm going to make a special request and ask you to stick around until after the interview. Stick around until the closing prayer before you decide to check out and just jump to the next episode. We all know how to talk to our loved ones. Why is this a specific topic we might want a special dedicated class on? Why have a class on how to talk to them about race and not have a class on how to talk to them about money or about the filmography of David Lynch? Topics like this have always been the taboo, right? Like you don't talk about politics. Technically, you don't talk about religion at the dinner table. You also don't talk about race, right? But it's the elephant in the room in every context of American history. And so there's a lot of discomfort because we haven't exercised this skill of communication. When we think about community and what does family look like in the context of the church, we're seeing churches where division is set because we aren't having these type of conversations. It's a muscle that we haven't worked out. And so there's definitely an urgent need, I think, for the body to be equipped to communicate to the experiences that we are witnessing in the world around us. It is one of the most contentious issues in our society today. It's something that has never been fully reconciled in our history. And at the end of the day, we're talking about humanizing a conversation that has historically been dehumanized or used a lot of derogatory comments about certain people groups purely based on their skin color. What about for someone who is resistant to talking or thinking about race because they don't want to be racist? They think that the ideal is to be colorblind. So by dragging them into a conversation that accepts race as a premise you are forcing them into a position to be racially biased? It's a great question. When we talk about someone not wanting to be racially biased or desiring to be colorblind, I I think it's a good intention. And I don't care about intentions. I care about how it ends up making people feel. So I might intend to make Keisha feel really comfortable and like hate her to her and things like that. 
But if I say something that insults her, it doesn't really matter what my intention is because the result is pain. If you actually want to engage in this conversation and learn and go through the hard heart work, first and foremost, the inevitability that there will be some mess ups or slip ups and you're going to have to ask for grace is almost 100%. So that's not a reason to not engage. I, know, I recognize like the fear component of that. But secondarily, I think the notion of being colorblind, while it is good intentioned, it also trivializes people's diversity. And looking at Keisha as a black woman, like that's beautiful and that's differentiated from my cultural context. And that gives her a lot of historical context and family hierarchy and all these other things that I have no insight into. That's just a different component of society that I can look at and validate by seeing her color as opposed to choosing to be colorblind and along the way, inevitably invalidating her. And I would also say, walk out the full thought. What is, why is being called racist the worst thing? Mm. And I say that at the cost of recognizing that we are watching people in this country lose their lives literally because of us not being able to get our hearts together. So for me, Logically, I cannot balance being called racist with watching people lose their lives at the same time. And so just wrestling with that and trying to interrogate why that is the worst thing that some members of community just feel, I think is really interesting to me and just something that I keep leaning into, being able to walk out the full thought because at the end of the day, you still have your agency. And I get in this current moment, we're also navigating cancel culture and all of these different pieces. And so I do understand like the weight of being named something, but in the context of the experience that we have watching people of color in this country and primarily black people in this country lose their lives, being called a racist to me, it doesn't, there's not a balance there. And so just really trying to figure out what is the end result of that thought and why does that feel like your world may be crashing down to be called racist? You brought up people of color losing their lives. Oftentimes I find when I'm having conversations about these issues, the thing that's very frustrating for me is it turns into a game of almost statistical or historical whack-a-mole. Mm -hmm. I bring up the rate at which people of color are being killed by institutional violence, and then the retort is, well, more white people are killed by police than black people, and then you have to go back with, yes, but per capita, more black people are killed by police than white people. It's not proportional, and it kind of goes down rabbit trails of, you know, there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. You end up having conversations not about the implications of reality, but the nature of reality. How do you pull a conversation out of that death spiral? In the workshop, we talk about what's our posture when we are going into those type of conversations. And ultimately, I think the question that we end with is if your motivation is to win yeah. or to be right, then we might need to rethink the strategy on how we engage in in these conversations, right? Um, we ground a lot of our practice in the workshop around entering these conversations first and foremost as believers, as Christ followers. And so there's a level of high road, a level, a standard that we we have to subject ourselves to, honestly, because at the end of the day, the reality is still 
that isn't just about what happens right here and now. It's about our eternity. And so at the the end of the day, I think a lot of the the pieces and thinking about the tension of what is this conversation look like when we're talking about family, when we're talking about loved ones that we care about, is also knowing that sometimes, yes, the stakes are high. And sometimes it also means that we don't always have the choice to separate ourselves from those individuals that we're communicating with. But I think ultimately, if the intention is to win then we have to reset ourselves. How do we engage with more curiosity about the other person? Stephen Covey in Seven Habits talks about seek first to understand, then to be understood. And I think that's intentional. I think that we need to enter in with a space of empathy and how are we asking more questions of the other individual so that we have context for how they might be thinking, how they arrived at those thoughts maybe what their backgrounds are. I think we don't give a lot of grace for people's experiences. We expect people to be polished when they come into the four walls of a church building and organization. We miss the importance of what it means to go out. Even the example of Jesus with the woman at the well, like there's something that is to be learned about how we engage with people in in their experiences and where they are at that we don't give a lot of grace for. And I think even more in a extremely polarized and hyper whatever world that we are witnessing, we are continuing to see more of this desire to be right and a desire to win the argument than a desire to understand the other individual or finding common ground to at least engage with each other and not see difference as the barrier or a thing to be fought, but something to be appreciated and accepted and tolerated. There are some things, though, that cannot be tolerated. I also want to make that distinction, but part of what we talk through in the workshop is also just knowing that it's a long game. There are going to be some relationships and some conversations that you're not going to win this side of it. You're not going to win the heart game. And you also have to know for your own well-being and your own health that it's okay to move someone out of the arena of your life. And God will still be God in their lives. But in certain relationships where you know that there's an investment and a desire to come to the table, that desire is because you understand that there's capacity for improvement. There's capacity for seeing not only that person change, but hopefully yourself as well. If the objective is not to love and it's to win, you're not loving the person. Because if you're going into it, the mindset that I'm trying to come out on top or I'm trying to convince somebody, your posture towards them is not one of loving and understanding, it's pride and hubris. Jesus gave us a great example here. And so talking practically for a second, Rick, getting back to the heart of your question, when it kind of rabbit trails and, and, and when you're going back and forth with uh, statistical validity or what have you, Jesus' example of asking questions to questions or as a response, I think actually bodes really well here and not trying to give away too many of our tidbits <laughs> for, for the workshop. But I do know a couple of practical things are asking like, hey, what's your motivation here? Or why do you believe that? Never in an aggressive way, never in a kind of contentious way, but in one where it's, why are you asking that? Or why are you combating that? And then because to Keisha's point, it does get at the heart of where they're coming from. And, and it, it gives you a little bit of an insight or an understanding as to where they're coming from, maybe the historical context and, and things like that. But I do think keeping in mind, to Keisha's point earlier, that 
giving space for people to and to recognize that you're seeing the accumulation of that person through all their experiences, through all their racial experiences, through potential indoctrination, through childhood trauma, through maybe one bad anecdote with a person that could very well have colored their entire posture towards a whole demographic. And so in a lot of situations, people do and are willing to come to the table. And at the same time, nobody's one conversation away from being convinced or taking on your opinion. People have their opinions because they think they're right. Otherwise, they would get a different opinion. And I think that's I think that's really important. And I think one other kind of practical approach here is in anecdotes. And so when we're having these conversations about race, especially in certain contexts where there is not a person of color present, the encouragement to humanize the conversation and encourage people to actively go out and seek experiences and to talk to people of color to not only validate and hear them, but then also hear what their experience looks like and no longer keeping it in a conceptual framework, but actually hearing and humanizing the conversation to better understand, okay, this is no longer just straight rhetoric or this little anteroom that we have conversations in before actually like implementing it into our daily lives. This is like a real person with thoughts, feelings, emotions, experiences. And not only does that humanize the conversation, it allows a little bit of a bridge to begin building because at the end of the day, it's about relationships. We're not here to sit and have these conversations and then just sit around our our family rooms and kind of engage in a, a neat discourse about race. It's about building relationships with other people. And so unless you have those anecdotes, it's really easy to offhandedly dismiss somebody's perspective on something that you may disagree with. You had asked a question about colorblindness, too, and I think within the church body, there's harm in that because we are then dismissing the creative aspect of who our God is, right? Like we weren't, heaven is and isn't homogenous. It's homogenous in that it is filled with people who followed Christ and pursued his way. And it's not homogenous in the fact that the Lord created the vibrancy of who each of us are. And that's not by accident. And we have to battle every day, I think, with what the world would tell us is an accident. And so being able to embrace that and remind ourselves, what is our purpose? It's not just living each day in this moment, but we have, as Christ followers, a sense of responsibility to not continue to perpetuate the things that the world has tolerated and to allow ourselves to really have an imagination and a mind of heaven. It takes all of us to lean into that. The picture of the kingdom that is to come is not one where everyone becomes part of the same tribe and speaks the same tongue. It is a kingdom where there is every tribe represented, every tongue being spoken, but spoken in harmony with one another. Mm -hmm. That the crowns of the kings of the world are not depicted as being discarded, but as being brought into the heavenly city and laid at Jesus's feet and accepted the Mm -hmm. recognizing the glories of other tribes is part of what will make living in perfection different from living in imperfection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, Rick, that that, I think that dovetails really well into kind of what I was going to say, which is, I think it connects both your and Keisha's points. You'd mentioned at the very beginning, like, why is it important to have these conversations about race? And from a Christian perspective, it's part of the foundation of what it means to be Christian if we're going to participate in reconciling all things. And and so if you view it from a biblical mandate perspective and you want to participate in what it looks like to mediate heaven on earth as it is today, this is an explicit mandate to, to participate in this reconciliation and combating injustice wherever you see it 
And then also to Keisha's point, talking about the beauty and diversity and also what you were getting at, Rick, in Ephesians, Ephesians 4 talks a lot about what it looks like to experience the fullness of Christ. Mm-hmm. I think we, ha- I think that's gotten diluted in a lot of ways, but I think part of what the fullness of Christ is exactly what you were both getting at, which is the beautiful diversity that he has created. It, it was intentional. I mean, it was never to be, to exactly both your points, a homogenous like people group that depicts Christ. There are aspects of who he is in all of us and who God is in all of us. And, and it's a manifestation of his character and a reflection of who he is. And so if we want to actually live into that mandate, if we want to actually participate in that reconciliation, we're going to combat any instance or any any circumstance where certain people are being oppressed or are not not only not being treated equally, but aren't giving the proper opportunity to flourish or aid in their flourishing. Because I think that that's an important differentiation where we talk about equality or living above poverty, whatever it is. I think that is a completely different objective than aiding in the flourishing of our neighbors. And I, I know we're short on time, but I want to ask, who is this class for? Is it for black people to learn to talk to their clumsy white friends is it for white people who are more oriented toward uh, what the bible would call justice to learn to talk to their uncles who only think the word justice applies to criminal punishment is it for asian people and latino people and middle eastern people to learn how to have conversations that will help them understand where they fit in in the U.S. where we tend to mostly think of race as black, white, and other, who should consider coming to this class? I think I would open that up to, honestly, anybody who struggles with engaging in these types of conversations. These conversations are going to happen in all of those directions. And knowing that a big part of that is so that we can all continue to be more fluent, in my hope, dismantling the impact of racism in this country and i think continuing to build what i think we all hope for is like on earth as it is in heaven and what would that actually look like for us to live in peaceful hopefully peaceful experiences and lives on in in these days the other audience that i would also echo is is specifically and explicitly the church because i Hmm. do think it is our responsibility and it's on a singular person, so I'm not looking at pastor on a Sunday sermon. I'm looking at the church as a body and each individual as our responsibility as Christ followers to engage in this work. Um, and I think, Garrett, you had mentioned something earlier just of seeing almost the apathy of the voices of the church standing up and saying, no, this is wrong. And even in the last year in particular, I've been wrestling with this question of where's the pauls of our generation that are calling out the lies that are being communicated. And so for me, it is the equipping of the church because I've seen so often the taboo lives so much more ingrained in a church community than it does necessarily out in the world. Or at least I feel like sometimes the world outside of the church is ready to engage in these conversations a little bit more or faster than I think that I've witnessed the church, global big C church, be able to engage in that. And so For me, I think it's coming back to what are the practices that we need to exercise in our responsibility as Christ followers. And so this is one of those practices. And I want to just wrap up because we only have a couple of minutes left with um, a question about what getting better at these kinds of conversations can add to our lives. Before I was a Christian, I was studying to be a fiction writer and film critic. And 
following that world, even after I ended up working in politics and then nonprofits and churches, basically starting the moment I committed to the political career path. There's been a lot of debate about representation and whose stories are being told and arguments about when is that tokenism, when is it not, and is colorblind casting the thing to do, or is it having showrunners of color, or what constitutes diversity and inclusion. For me, I know that I'm a white dude, and probably either Gilmore Girls or Bunheads was the first time I watched a whole TV show where the primary point of view was not a white man, and it was revelatory to me. I was like, Holy crap, this is an exciting story I never knew and was not already familiar to me. So thinking in those terms, in entertainment, diversity, inclusion can give you stories that aren't rote and boring, right? stories mm -hmm. you're not already intimately familiar with the rhythms of. But when it comes to our spiritual life, our political life, our cultural life, our relational lives, what have you gained by growing in this regard? What have you gained by getting better at having conversations about these topics that can frequently feel like you're talking to someone from a different reality? Yeah, I think two things. First and foremost, it's not dissimilar to when a recent college graduate goes and travels abroad or does like a, a backpacking trip and does like a cultural immersion kind of thing for a few months and they have their whole worldview kind of shocked in large part because they've been living in the confines of a bubble for a lot of their their short lives and didn't even realize that certain people or certain types of people or certain aspects of culture or certain food or certain landscapes even existed. And so just by default in, in going on that journey, their lives are enriched because they had been living just in a portion of the world. And so I think it's I think it's similar with relationships and, and listening to anecdotes and narratives uh, of people of color in many circumstances because of the fact that I learn from Keisha every time she speaks, in part because she's really smart and wise, but additionally, <laughs> because she has a different experience than I do. Part of that is her Black experience. Part of that is not necessarily that. But engaging in, in these kind of conversations with people who look different than you is remarkably eye-opening and challenging. And it is going to almost by definition expand your worldview just because of the fact that you're going to acquire knowledge or insight or context into certain aspects of, like you said, Rick, of reality that you have never been fully immersed in. And then secondarily, I, I think it's from a biblical perspective, it is getting to taste and experience the fullness of Christ. Mm. Keisha is a manifestation of Christ. Rick, you are a manifestation of Christ. I am as well. And so if I am to actually know and experience and love the world, I don't get to pick and choose the different components of the world that I get to love. I, I, I want to and I, and I get to and I have to love all of it. And when we live in these little homogenous, insular Christian bubbles of people that look similar to us, not only are we diluting our lived experience, but we're also not living in the mandate of what it means to experience the fullness of Christ. And I think that is something that in many instances we don't necessarily think of, or at least not super consciously, but we're depriving ourselves as well as Christ. We're depriving ourselves from, from the richness that we would otherwise get to experience by engaging with people who look different than us and might maybe speak a different language or come from a different cultural background. There's a part of our journey and our walks as believers that we begin to not just look at what has the transformation been for myself individually, but then ultimately we become co-laborers with God in what his ultimate purpose and plan is for us. And 
So I'm in this space in my own spiritual maturation of recognizing that I'm gaining the heart of God and his will. And that means that I have to put down a lot of feelings that I have about what I see in front of me from people, right? Bible says man looks at at people, but God sees the heart. So every day I have to (laughs) choose to see the heart of someone because it's easy to see what someone is projecting and decide that I don't want to deal with that. And so I think that's a, a part of what I gain from taking the courage to keep walking this out and choosing to do this daily. All right, that was my interview with Keisha Saran and Garrett Losty, who will be facilitating this week's workshop on talking with loved ones about race. If you've been following our work for a while, there are probably a few familiar themes in that conversation. At Christian Civics, we talk a lot about the Bible's promise that people from very, very different tribes are going to be worshiping alongside one another when the kingdom comes. And we talk about how it's our responsibility as Christians to practice for that future reality in the here and now. And we talk a lot about how making an effort to understand and welcome in people who the world tells us we should be opposed to can be an entry point into practicing for heaven in that way. And in our Foundations class, we also talk over and over again about humility and patience and letting go of the need to be seen as right. So there's going to be a lot of overlap between the kind of civic discipleship we do in our classes and the kind of relational work Keisha and Garrett are going to help us do in this workshop. But one of the things I want to circle back to before we close out the episode is the idea of being colorblind. The idea that a lot of the tension we deal with in the U.S., a lot of the anger and frustration we see people have in this country around race would just go away if we stopped talking about it. Or maybe it's the idea that history, even recent history, doesn't actually have an effect on people today, that maybe racism was a problem and a big problem in the past. But now, if there is any racism, it's really just down to individual prejudice and individual talent. That's opening a huge can of worms, and maybe sometime later this year we'll be able to get into it in more depth in this podcast or in another class, but I want to take a minute to talk to any brothers or sisters now who are listening to this and who think that way or who think that way sincerely. I don't share your perspective, but even if you're right about this and I'm wrong— you're still not going to be able to convince other people that you're right unless you learn to have the conversation with them. If we think other people worry about race too much and it's hurting them and it's hurting their ability to live in line with the truth, but we refuse to get into conversations about race with them or conversations that accept race and the history of race in our country as a premise, we'll never be able to help them find their way out of it. Jesus was right about everything. He was absolutely cosmically right. And he spoke with heavenly tongues, the perfect language. And he had an undefiled, perfect spiritual body. But he still took on this kind of weak little body of skin and bones with its 
weird, disgusting mouth and its stupid elbows. And he learned to speak these clumsy, inelegant human languages. And he did that so that he could have conversations with people who were way more wrong than he was and didn't deserve him. That's perfection in our faith. So even if you listened to this interview and a lot of it set your teeth on edge, I'm going to ask you to please, please be patient with us. Consider joining Tuesday's course and please pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, as much as we want to live in a country where there is no Jew or Greek, black or white, no ignorance or deception or racism, we don't. Teach us to accept and appreciate the things you have done that the world would have us believe we are supposed to ignore. And teach us to repent of the things that fall short of your calling, even when they're things that the world would have us believe are actually signs of virtue. Where we might not even know we have hearts of stone, give us hearts of flesh. We want to honor your image in other people, even when those other people are reflecting your image in ways that are strange to us. We want to turn away from sin within ourselves, even when that sin is attaching itself to an idea or a commitment that's meant to be noble and honorable and good. And most of all, we want to live lives now that will help other people understand what it's going to look like when your kingdom comes in the future. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When heaven comes to earth, when your will is finally perfectly done here, every tribe and every tongue will praise your name. Don't let us get so caught up in the idea that every tribe and tongue will still exist, that we forget that those tribes and tongues will be living in harmony with one another and singing in concert with one another. And don't let us get so caught up in the idea that those tribes and tongues are all going to be praising the same thing, that we forget that there's still going to be distinct tribes with distinct languages. We want so badly for it to be one way or the other. We want to either all be the same, or we want to not have to bother with each other. Bend our stiff necks and teach us to teach one another a better way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, that's it for this week. A big thank you to Keisha Saran and Garrett Losty for joining me for this conversation and for leading the workshop this coming Tuesday. Visit our website, christiancivics.org, and visit the upcoming events section to sign up for that workshop. And if you're listening to this after February 22nd, then visit our website, christiancivics.org, and go to the podcast section for a transcript of this episode. We'll be back next week with more on how we can all think, speak, and act differently in the public square.